Hello everyone, welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast. You are going to have to forgive my voice on this week's episode. I'm a little bit under the weather. I've had a little bit of a heavy time in the past week or so. You have to forgive me for that, but I'm very excited to be back on the main show and talking about this movie that we have to talk about today, Janine, because this is one that I've wanted to see for quite a while. It's Discovery of a New Major Star that we always like to do on It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show. This is both mine and yours, I believe, first instance of Ava Gardner. Yes, a name we hear a lot. You know, when old Hollywood is referenced and yeah, just kind of, it's always crazy when, you know, we realize these big names, we have yet to see one of their films. So when that happens, it's kind of a surreal thing because of all of the movies we discuss on this show um, to, to run across such a big name that we haven't yet seen on screen yet. It's kind of funny. Which is why it's always really nice to do and yeah, look this no, I movie love that. that we are talking about today i think is a star maker for ava gardner it is also the debut of burt lancaster who was 33 at the time so you know maybe maybe a little bit older for a, a debut than you would necessarily expect but um we do we are fans of, of burt lancaster on it's a wonderful podcast i think that goes without saying but Today, we are talking about 1946's The Killers, which is not the only version of this movie. I think there's one from, well, it's one that's directed by Don Siegel. I can't remember if it's from the 50s or the uh, or the 60s, actually, now at this point. Oh, it's uh, 1964, by the Ooh. looks of it, um, which is the same movie. It's the same story. It's based on an Ernest Hemingway story, and has been a movie, like I said, that I've wanted to see for a very, very long time, not only because it is renowned as a pretty formative noir movie, which I think comes across very, very strongly. I'm also a big fan of this movie's director, Robert C. Odmack. He had 10 years of just noir dominance, Throughout the mid-40s to the kind of mid-50s, he was just hit after hit after hit, it seemed. Or at least what I would consider great movie after great movie. (laughs) And this film was nominated for four Academy Awards, including Best Director. So, um, And they were all like creative. The best music and scoring, best film editing, uh, and best writing screenplay. So, And I think all those are absolutely valid. Mm -hmm. We will get into why as we get into talking about this movie, because I think this is just a fascinatingly told story. I mean, it starts, you could say it starts at the end, but does it? Because it starts at kind of the pivotal moment. Yeah, it starts at kind of a climactic moment, and then we finish out the story. It starts at the climax, spends the rest of the movie then in kind of two... Filling in the gaps for you, yeah. Yeah, filling in the gaps, but in two timelines almost. Mm-hmm. It's the timeline of our insurance man 
played by Edmund O'Brien, who I, I really like as well. I always like when Edmund yes. O'Brien shows up in a movie. He's an underappreciated man in this era of movies. He he holds his own against the best all the time, Edmund O'Brien, and I, I really like it when he comes into his own leading roles, a movie like DOA that we've covered on this uh, show. Um, has that a movie, I think, is it... 7-Eleven Ocean Drive, I want to say as well, where he is uh, the lead, a police officer in a kind of, but a bit of a, more of a, a lesser Columbia noir movie, but a great role for him as well. I really enjoyed him in this movie because he's having to act really, not alongside necessarily the two huge names that are higher build than him but he's having to do a lot of the stuff almost on his own he's having yeah. to hold a lot of attention and, and and tension on his own while he's trying to figure out figure out why what what, what is Bert happening Lancaster was killed and i love That's that he's not like movie. you know this could have easily been like a detective or something or, or a cop but it's he's this insurance investigator who, um, after this man is killed, you know he's he's looking for the woman who um, the man who died left his insurance policy to. So that simple thing that his insurance company handles ends up opening up this whole investigation for him, and he it, it, you know it implores him to dig deeper into what really happened to this man and. And ultimately, so much is uncovered throughout the course of the film. And like you said, he's kind of on his own trying to figure things out, interviewing people. And then, you know, as he's talking to to people about the man that was killed, played by Burt Lancaster, um, we that's when we go back into the flashback of, of what happened and who he was. And, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the formatting of this story and, and the fact that, yeah, like I... I immediately expected it to be some type of you know hard-nosed detective trying to solve this mystery but the fact that it's an insurance agent who was just is it every doing yeah who was just doing a simple job and then that opened up the door for him to kind of want to dig deeper into what happened and go into this full-blown investigation uh felt fresh so yeah he does uh you know i think i think this is this is Edmund O'Brien at his at his best, really, in these kind of roles that cause him to be maybe a little bit deceitful and a little bit manipulative of who he is, what his situation is, when he is just kind of a simple guy just doing his job. Um, I think his best role is probably White Heat, which we've also covered on this show. Um, and I, it was the first time I'd ever seen Edmund O'Brien. I was old, I was really, really impressed by him in that movie, having never heard of him before watching that movie. Um, but the fact he was able to hold his own so well against perhaps the most manic version of Jimmy Cagney ever, <laughs> it's just really, really, it was really, really impressive. And he, yeah. he in that movie, is playing a a police officer who kind of infiltrates Jimmy Cagney's criminal racket and obviously ends up double crossing him for 
the law's sake and yeah. causing him to be defeated by the end in the blaze of glory that happens at the end of White Heat. Um, but this movie's kind of similar in the sense that he's trying to, as the movie goes on, as the investigation into exactly why Burt Lancaster was killed and who killed Burt Lancaster, because seeming, we see people kill Burt Lancaster at the beginning of the movie. I think the beginning of the movie is a really quite quietly intense five minutes of these two guys in this diner waiting for Burt Lancaster to come, to come in. The yes, amount very of times shady figures. Must, <laughs> the amount of times they must call the diner owner Bright Boy as well in that opening five minutes is ridiculous. I mean, every yeah. other word seems to just be, ah, oh, what are you doing there, Bright Boy? And it's just like, have another insult. Yes, right. You know, just try and think <laughs> They're of not very creative. Yes, but I also like that that kind of adds to them being very single-minded and simple-minded. Oh, very uh, much so, very much so. They yeah. are there to do the job, and we're not quite sure why. You know, we're, yeah. we're not given any exposition at this point. No, we just see these two these shady guys... characters come into this very established diner with, you know, a guy sitting there who seems like a regular um and they're just asking all kinds of questions and being rude and obnoxious um to the point where then they actually start getting a little bit rough with the people working at the diner trying to get answers on where they can find this man uh so it's obvious what their intentions are yeah so yeah a great setup and you know we're just pulled in trying to figure out okay what is happening here and we're getting the pieces uh kind of just scattered for us uh, you know, so clearly that we can kind of pick them up and follow along on this journey. So it, it was a really good setup. Yeah, and, and they, you know, they too realize that Bert Lancaster will not be coming into the diner this evening. So they go and find his place of residence and end up killing him there. And we're thinking, yes. wait a minute, the lead of the movie has been yes, killed our star. in the first five minutes. What's going on here? Yes, like, you know, my mind always kind of thinks ahead whether I want it to or not. So I'm like, is this going to be a flashback situation? Was this, you know, uh, because he is, he, the, the guy who was hanging out at the diner is actually somebody who works with Burt Lancaster's character. Yes. Ollie is uh, Burt Lancaster's name in the movie. and he, Or Swedes, they also call him. They also call it, yeah, they call him Swede or the Swede. Swede he goes yeah. by, I think, three different Swedish names <laughs> in the yes. movie as well. Yes. And quite thankfully, he did he doesn't speak with some sort of ridiculous or try to on accent. <laughs> yes. Um I've so recently it... watched um Joseph H. Lewis's Terror in a Texas town with Sterling Hayden who is playing a Swedish man in that movie as well. Yeah. And Sterling Hayden does put on an accent oh, in that no. movie. And it, 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 it's not it, good. It's a good movie. Don't get me wrong. It's a good movie. It's a really just... well put together kind of mix of noir and Western. It's really, really good. But just every time Sterling Hayden opens his mouth, it's just, he sounds like the Swedish chef from yeah. the Muppets. Yeah, and it, it, it shouldn't <laughs> be like that. Was it giving? Was it giving Marlena it? Dietrich? <laughs> no, Marlena Dietrich's no, because, Cockney. 
it was giving a little bit Marlena Dietrich's cockney from Witness for the Prosecution, but thankfully, obviously, that was in one scene for a particularly good reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what they should have done is done something like the, I forget his name, the, the guy from Shane. There's that one Swedish character in Shane who's played oh, by yeah. the guy from The Thing for Another World. Um, his Swedish accent's perfectly fine. Yeah. It's kind of understated. It's there. You know Not it's there, but it's, it doesn't yeah. sound like... It doesn't sound <laughs> stupid. <laughs> and half Irish, apparently, which yeah. is exactly what I've just done. Sterling Hayden's does, and thankfully, oh, no. Burt Lancaster doesn't even try and do okay. one yes. in this movie. Yeah. Yes. So his uh, co-worker who works with him at a gas station, uh, you know, he was in the diner. And so he goes to warn um, Ollie about what's going on and that these men are looking for him. And and he's just like, I'm done running. You know, I did something bad, so it's fine. Like, they're going to come for me. They're going to come for me. So he essentially has given up. So the men find him and we get this great shot of the, how they they're shooting him. So we literally don't see him get shot. We just see kind of the gun fire light kind of flashing on the faces of the men shooting him. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of a cool way to show, to illustrate that shot. Um, well, what and, would you expect? What would I expect? Yes. From a, yeah. An early, an earlier noir. But even then, even then, movie. you know, you show people get shot, but you don't see any bullet wounds. They just kind of make the motions and fall down, and there's no blood or anything. So you know, that's. <laughs> it, I was. I appreciated that they actually kind of did something artful with that shot, as opposed to just. Yeah. So you'd rather shot. have it this way than yes. actually see someone see him physically yes. get shot, but there'd be nothing there. Yes, and then we have his hand, we see his hand just in the light, kind of grasping onto the bed, and then it just slumps down. Yeah. Um, so, a great opening to set up this story. So then that's when we move into our insurance investigator. Uh, so this man, man dies in this town, he, you know, people just knew him as Swede and uh, a seemingly very kind of simple man who works at a gas station and nothing more about his past. Um, and so, yes, the insurance investigator, he uh, has a life insurance check from Ollie to this woman. The woman comes in and she's very confused. She's like, who is this person leaving me this money? And she was somebody who ran a hotel or ran a boarding house where Ollie stayed. And he was in this moment of distress and she kind of was helped him and was supportive to him in that moment. So that was enough yeah. for him to leave this like, I think it's like $2,900, $2,500, something like that to Which this woman. Reasonably significant. Yes. 946. Yes. So hearing that, you know, this woman kind of tell the story about, oh yeah, you know, I had this boarding house and I walked in on him trashing the room and talking about this woman who left him and, and, you know, so I, then I was just there for him and listened to him. And um, so then that kind of just opens this up. This yeah, is this like story that we're told by this, you know, the the boarding house owner, not the first instance of flashback in this movie? Yes, yes. So that ultimately we see Burt Lancaster trashing the room, and we see that scene play out while it's being narrated, and that's yes. the structure of a lot of this movie. 
yes, as um he's talking to this investigator, um his name is Jim Reardon. As he's talking to people, it kind of goes into the flashback with them kind of narrating over. And then we see the scene of what actually happened. So this woman is talking about what happened and that he kind of was going crazy and talking about this woman who left. And, you know, just a simple kind of handing off of a check ultimately really just taps something in Jim's brain. And he wants to kind of delve deeper into what, who was this person, you know, it, what was his life like and and there's more to this story so i like that you know something so simple kind of really taps something in his mind to want to kind of go and, and look more into it so that's yeah. kind of how the story kicks off you almost start to think is he gonna get in over his head is he gonna bite yeah off more than he can chew because you know how these things tend to go yeah. You start to think something fishy is up and something fishy almost certainly is up and you end up involved in criminal undertakings and the yeah. so, underworld of whatever city you may be present in. Yes. So then we learn that we're going to now get our lead actor, our biggest name, Burt Lancaster, in this movie through these flashbacks. Yes. Um, but yeah. it's, it's even funny that he is the lead in this movie, that he is top build in this movie, because like I said, it's his first ever movie. Yeah. He was never in a movie before this. He was 33 years old. He'd been a circus acrobat before so this. <laughs> which is why he kind of looks that way. Yeah. Well-built mm -hmm. man, isn't he? An yeah. athletic, tall man. But I find it fascinating that he's given, like, Burt Lancaster in... The yeah, kill, like if you pull it up on IMDb, he's, he's the first name on there. Um, so I think it just kind of goes by him, like by the end of his career in general, I guess, as opposed to where he was when he made that movie. Um, so yes, this is how we're going to get Burt Lancaster is through these flashback scenes. Um, and so the investigator, he's talking to more people and trying to figure out. And even his boss is like, what are you doing? Like, this was just a simple check handoff. What, why, why are you doing this? And he's like, I, I need to know more about what happened because something is off here. Like, who were these strange men who came into the town? Like, nobody's seen them before. And like, it seems like they just this... murdered him. Yes. Why? For what? Yes. And so all of it just seems very fishy to Jim. And so he is definitely like gung ho on figuring out and, and talking to people. Um, and then they, he notices something with uh, Swede's hands that they're kind of swollen and, and scarred up. And so he's like, maybe he was a boxer. So that implores him to then delve into boxers and any kind of nearby areas. And that's kind of how they find out who he really was and that he was a boxer at this, you know, earlier in his life. And uh, so then he goes and he talks to people who knew him at that time. And one of those people is a cop who used to be like, so, uh, who was a kid that grew up with Swede and, um and like was one of his really good friends so then then, then that's when we get into another flashback of of uh, of ollie and and him being a boxer so we get a, yeah. even a whole kind of boxing scene where he he kind of ends his career because he totally blows this fight so well because he's totally messed up his his hand at this yes point. yeah so he can't even fight back not, so yeah he's not willing to accept that really yeah. is he's not 
because that's all he knows how to do. Yeah. Yeah. With the fact is his boxing career is over because he's just messed up his his right his big right hand his big famous right hand too much yeah you can't use it um but no it is those small relationship moments in this movie that are, that are that are built up that you get more knowledge of as the movie goes on but that are presented with such a great pace to them yeah. That I just loved about this. Like, particularly, like you say, Ole's relationship with his friend, the, the cop. I think his name's Sam. Yeah. Who is with Edmund O'Brien for a lot of the movie, really, because it's kind yeah, of. Yeah, because they end up who, kind of team up to try to figure out yeah. what happened. Yeah. But obviously, Sam hasn't seen ole for for years for years years. yes i think most of the flashbacks take place in about 1940 the movie is set in the present day so 1946 um so he hasn't seen him for years and i like the dynamic between edmund o'brien and sam because they're clearly two the two sides of the same investigation because edmund o'brien has no personal connection to Ole at all, but Sam does. Sam's yeah. more interested personally in yes. why somebody would do this to to Ole. Why, you know, after all this time, he maybe Sam knew something was up. Maybe Sam knew he was, you know, Ole was into bad things. Sam once arrested Ole and sent him to prison for like for three, three years. years yes and so that kind of is, is where things really get interesting as well um but yeah sam is kind of tied to the past and jim is tied to the present and so them coming together really is is a great dynamic in terms of figuring out clues for things and and um seeing different perspectives and putting those together to figure out what's really going on in this situation um so yeah, yeah. you just gradually get those tiny bits and pieces relationship building and and you know character dynamics with each other through these flashbacks it's such a brilliantly yeah it's like putting a it's, structured way of doing yeah. an investigation movie because you can have so many investigation movies i mean so many noir movies are based in investigations of a crime and trying to figure happened. out what's going on but like it's how all, this movie is yes, done it's all very interesting it feels yeah, like puzzle pieces it feels like putting like like you're literally putting a puzzle together like you're picking up the piece and trying to figure out where it fits like as you're watching and this movie not only does i think here come you know ernest hemingway's original story applause applause for writing it like mm-hmm. this but the oscar nomination for the screenplay as well comes in this aspect because you you know you you it will be quite easy for this movie to be deeply confusing because you where am i in the story now where where are you yeah that wasn't happening a minute ago he's been dead he's alive now i'm all over the place yeah where are we are we in the past are we in the present what's going on yeah it actually explains itself so brilliantly succinctly because it doesn't overexpose anything it's not heavy with exposition it's not 
making sure you watching it knows where you are at all times. It just presents the investigation as though you yourself watching it are investigating this story yourself. You, yeah. you know only ever as much as Edmund O'Brien knows about yeah. Burt Lancaster. You yeah. know, you never know any more. Um, apart from maybe the opening and the fact he was killed by two people. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only time. But character-wise, personality-wise, you only ever know. You are entirely with your POV character of Jim Reardon. And yeah. it's such a brilliant way of doing it to find out. It's a Citizen Kane way of doing it. Yeah. You know, kill your main guy, kill your lead at the beginning. Right at the start. Have the rest and then of the movie of be interviews and flashbacks. Who he was. It, yeah. That structure. Yeah. Um, obviously, this is a slightly smaller scale movie and a not necessarily, you know, business magnet and, and personal. This is more what happened with this particular criminal. Um, but it's it's so gripping. It's so really just wonderfully engaging of a of a story. Yeah, I have to just give so much credit to the way it's the structure of it. Yeah, so well done. And I do like also that we, you know, in this kind of journey that Jim goes on to figure out what what happened with Swede, um, is that we do start with somebody who knew him well and someone who cared about him and somebody who was a positive aspect in his life. Um, Yeah. Because then we later get into more shady figures and more kind of negative people that he gets involved with. Um, so, you know, Jim's talking to uh, Sam and asking him questions about, you know, um, Swede and, and, and everything like that. And he tells him about how he was a boxer. And so we flash back to him, you know, losing this match and getting knocked out. And now Swede is trying to figure out what is he going to do now? Cause that's all he knows how to do. Um, and then him and Sam are kind of out on the town and that's when we meet Kitty. That's when we meet Ava Gardner. So he sees her and he's immediately kind of drawn to her. Cause obviously she's gorgeous and she's singing and it's quite a while into the movie. Yeah. That Ava Gardner actually shows up as, you know, obviously our, our second lead, our female powerhouse in the movie. Yeah. I think her entrance is really good as well because it's so, it's so obvious yet so subtle. It's not, you know, Cinderella walking down the stairs or anything like no, that. No, but it's very much of a noir femme fatale kind of character. Um, it is just kind of to, to be revealed well, in this way. <laughs> let's walk around. Let's walk around this little party hosted by some unseen, larger than life figure by the sounds of it. Yeah. Who's this? Who's this? And visually, this is what I love about these movies as well is. There's so much deep focus. Robert Seodmack's so good at so much deep focus. He loves it. Because you just get... Attention is drawn to every aspect. You never... And this is, this is the best thing about these kind of movies. The best thing about investigative noir movies is the sense from you watching it that you can never be quite sure what part of the frame what part of the screen is actually something relevant going in yeah you should be looking at yeah 
Because, yes, okay, the two characters here in the foreground might be talking to each other, but there's a reason everybody else is in focus. You know, that's not done by accident. Yeah. That's done on purpose. Yeah. And this introduction of Kitty is very much like that, because I think you get Ole and Sam in the foreground. Kitty's, the back of Kitty's head in the is is in focus. And she gets introduced to them, and she just turns around into the light, says hello, and turns back turns around. right back around, yeah. It's wonderful. And obviously Ava Gardner is a ridiculously beautiful person as well, and oh, you can yeah, understand why Burt Lancaster is immediately Ooh, taken with her. So yeah, so then they, kind of, with her. they kind of they kind of it basically ruins his current relationship that he has with I think her name is Lily, who becomes yeah. Sam's wife. So ends up marrying Sam because it they set up this dynamic that she obviously really um is into Oli and Sam is really into her. <laughs> yeah. Um and as the love soon... triangle doesn't go any further than that, but it, it is no. present. But as soon as he sees Ava Gardner's kitty, um, you know, Oli's done. He he's not even thinking about Lily anymore. Um so then ultimately she becomes instantly yeah. a top-level femme fatale, because yes. it's... And it's why we love femme fatales. It's why I love femme fatales, because they just... You can read them as evil people. But I yeah. think in a movie... In a movie that we talked about recently, The Strange Woman, Teddy Lamar, I think that was a femme fatale movie where she was clearly evil. Yeah. In this movie, she doesn't she's not really evil. It's it's just all and, and the, but that's why she's I all think, about she's she's very much about self-preservation. She's and that is it, and that is it, and this is why. She's very self-serving. Yeah. This is why I can never hate femme fatale. This is why I always love femme fatales because you I just have so much admiration for the for their hustle <laughs> like you said self-preservation that they do have yeah. yes it's just like yes okay go for you know never mind anybody else go for what's good for you maybe it's because i don't have that i don't know but this is what i love about them and this is why i i always read the femme fatale dynamic as just a almost a a, a message to tell men not to be so weak when it comes <laughs> to beautiful women don't yes, be overcome by the beautiful woman you stupid man and this is this is all noir movies with a femme fatale this is yes, and, and, this and... is scarlet street this yes. is all these movies like why are you falling for this but stop it stop it and only falls terribly for 100 so him and kitty have kind of been an item and everyone's having you know dinner at this restaurant um kitty is wearing like this stolen brooch and when sam walks in obviously he's a cop and she notices that he's kind of watching her she kind of sneakily tries to take the brooch off and put it on a tray of dirty dishes um but sam catches her trying to like sneak this jewelry off of her and he goes to the tray and he finds it in the in the waiter's tray and ultimately you know 
says, you know, well, why, why do you have this? Where did this come from? She's playing dumb, like, oh, that's not mine. Like, I don't know anything about this. And trying to play very innocent and trying to use her, you know, her charm on him. But Sam is very much, you know, devoted to, I'm a good cop. I'm going to do what needs to be done. I don't care. And he proves that wholeheartedly because then here comes Oli and Kitty's putting on her, oh, oh my god she's gonna arrest me what am i gonna do and 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 only falls for it 100 percent. so then he ultimately takes the blame for kitty and says he's the one who stole it and now sam who's you know presumably his best friend has to arrest only because he yeah. he you know and, and he tells him like don't lie for this woman like just tell the truth i know you didn't do this but he you know he he sticks to the story that he's the one who stole it that kitty is innocent and, and so then the he arresting and imprisonment we'd heard in he, sam's original story yes before. so then now Oli's in jail for three years and that's what that moves us to the next kind of phase of the story yeah the prison there's not much time spent in the prison but he does become friends with charleston yeah who likes the stars and constellations and yes and like we see that. them have some really nice conversations so then we kind of flash forward back to the present where now we see sam and lily um and charleston all at this funeral all at yeah. at ollie's funeral and jim is kind of talking to sam at the funeral and kind of asking who's this who's that um and asks about Charleston and says, who is that? And he says, oh, that, that was his cellmate. They were friends in prison. They were really close. So now it's setting up, okay, this is the next person I need to get, talk to, to get the next part of this story. So I like that, you know, the pieces are kind of just showing themselves and Jim is really kind of really turning over these rocks to kind of figure this out. So, you know, Sam is his, his next lead. And so that's what kind of drives the, the story to the next phase. Yeah, and we're still at this point, you know, not quite sure how high this goes, not quite sure how really big of a deal, you know, the killing of Burt Lancaster was, because yeah. why, we still don't know, we still don't have any indication as to why he was killed. He was killed, yes. So, so you know, and you, but you feel that we're building to that. Um, and so ultimately, uh, Jim sits down with Charleston and he starts telling him, you know, uh, Oli just got out of, out of jail, out of prison. Uh, he comes to this poker game to, you know, hang out with all of these guys and I'm there and they're talking about this heist that they want to do. And Kitty's also there as well. And she's now with, with one of these guys. So yeah, and obviously he's not seen Kitty, you know, his former flame since getting yes. out of prison. And he went to prison for her. So there's yeah. just kind of a weird tension between the two of them. She's obviously acting unfazed and trying to be charming. Um, but she is, by the of... way, wearing a lovely jumper in this <laughs> yeah. particular scene, by yeah. the way, Ava Gardner. Yeah. Um, and is this, is this before or after we get that little um, scene? It must be after of uh, Big Jim, who is kind of the ringleader of the criminal organization, really, isn't he? We get him going to Ole's gas station. Yes, yes. So but we don't know who he to... is at that point. Yes. So they talk to Nick, who was the, his his friend from the gas station, who warned, who tried to warn 
uh, Ole about the two men in the diner. Um, and so Jim, he's one of the first people that Jim talks to, I think. And he asks him, you know, so what was going on? Like, what do you know about him? Like, was he a good guy? And he's like, yeah, seemingly he was a good guy. I liked working with him, never any problems. And then he tells him about like the last day that he worked with him before all of this went down. And he tells him, oh, you know, it was like a regular day. And then this man in this fancy car came up and we see, you know, big, big Jim. Is that big? What's his name? I big? think he's, I think he is called Jim as well. Jim yeah, as well. he is. Yeah. There's two Jims, um, big okay. Jim and Jim. Yeah. <laughs> uh so we see this car pull up and ole like sees who it is and you can tell there's some recognition there but yeah. he and he tries to kind of skulk off and, and run away but then big jim's like oh hey come hey guy and he like acts like he doesn't know him but you can tell there was some weird recognition and he asks him to check the oil so ole's checking the oil he asks him i think to check the tires and you know uh big jim's asking what the name of the town is and it's all just very weird this weird vibe between the two of them you can tell that they know each other in some way and Oli looks kind of scared and so there's there's a weird vibe so yeah. nick well, nick is the, the other attendant is kind of describing all of this to jim but when you come to realize who big jim is yeah and you remember that scene of seeing him go to the gas station. You're thinking, oh, okay, so he must have sent the killers. Those men, yes. He asking these and he's asking, he's asking what the name of the town. Obviously, he, you know, only seemed kind of scared of him. Yeah. After seeing know him, why, you know, it plays back to the moment when Nick tries to warn him and he doesn't care. He's just resigned himself to this is his fate. So he knew they were coming for him. And so he had time yeah. to pack up and go, but he didn't. So now you're kind of wondering, okay, well, what did he do that was so bad that he just felt like he couldn't run from it or he didn't want to run from it anymore. So then it just kind of starts getting us asking questions um about you know what really happened so now we go to this scene that charleston is describing about the this meeting that all these guys are having and big jim is kind of the ringleader of this this group and and kind of uh organizing this big heist that they want to do and now he yeah. is in a relationship with kitty um so charleston says you know i i don't think i want to be a part of this i hope you guys understand um, I'm too old. I yes, just want to do yeah, little jobs now. Yes, but good luck to you. And he kind of pulls Ollie aside and says, Hey, I don't think you should do this. It's not a good idea. You know, just just try to stay away from this stuff. You just got out. Um, don't let these guys manipulate you. And he tries to be an advocate for him. And I love when he walks out of the room, Charleston, and he kind of is while he's there. We see we see the, the this flashback, Charleston in the flashback, but we hear him talking to Jim in the present, yeah, and saying, you know, I half heartedly hope that he would would have followed me out of that room, and I waited, and and he never he never came out. But I think and, there was one reason he never came out. And he's doing it really for Kitty. Kitty, because mm -hmm, she's there. And even though she's with Big Jim, he's still kind of transfixed on her. Um, and There's so many scenes of just lingering shots of Burt Lancaster staring. Staring at her, yes. And her knowing the power she has over him. 
And so then we just hear uh, Oli say, I'm in. And so we see him kind of now go down this darker path. So now they plan this whole heist. And that's now it's a really kind of efficiently a big... done heist to be fair. Yes, about. and it's a big turning it. point in this case for Jim, who's trying to figure this out. And so now he finds, I think, a handkerchief that was involved in this big heist. He finds the the article describing it, and so now he he's putting the pieces together of who was potentially involved based off kind of what Charleston was telling him, and you know finding these little bits of evidence. And now he's so deep into this that his boss is telling him, just let it go. You know, you gave the the woman her yeah. insurance check. You know, we got other things to do. Um, and, and they actually insured the hat company that got robbed in this heist um, years prior. So he's like, you know, if I recover this money, this could be big for us. So let me figure this out. And his boss is like, no, it's like, don't worry about that. But he's like, either you let me dig into this or I quit. So he is so invested now that he's willing to just quit his job if he doesn't have yeah. get the opportunity to continue digging into this. Um, so I love that he's so into it because I, I think us uh, as an audience, map. yes, us as an audience are very into it. We want him to keep going as well and then figure out what's yeah, happening. Th th there would be no fun to this yeah. movie whatsoever if at this point writers were about to learn exactly what happened with the heist we've just heard was set up if jim decided you know no, what boss okay. you're, right. you're right i'm not gonna <laughs> uh, uh, let's move on and just go and collect yeah. somebody's car insurance it's just like, what no we don't want <laughs> no that. let's keep i want to see a heist know. please yes so then as the boss is reading the article of the heist and how well organized it was that's when we flash back and actually see the heist in action so yeah. it's all of our players that we met in the room um, in the prior flashback and Charles Charleston's flashback and we see the heist play out and they ended up stealing like, like over like 200 is the yeah. heist one take like you I see think them so walk into that factory so they see them and... you know they, they walk into the factory they go up to where the registers are two guys are like tying up the master. workers while the other ones are breaking into the safe and getting the money they have their masks on they are a, follow a a van out of the gate that's opening and then they have cars set up there um yeah. and so ultimately you know they do have a bit of a struggle getting away but they're able to kind of have a little bit of shootout and shoot one of the cops that that that's, has a gun on them and they all end up getting away with over two hundred thousand dollars so i can only imagine you know how much is that that's so much in in quarter of a million yes in, in, in 1946 yeah um, and so they have all this kind of rendezvous plans to meet at certain places and, um, but all of that kind of goes wrong. And so now it's like Jim trying to figure out, well, how did, how did this meetup go wrong? Cause the original location got burned down. And so somebody relayed to all of this. Yes. Yeah, that seems a little suspect. Why did the original, original location get just before? Down? Yeah. And um, who relayed the information to all of the guys where the new location was to meet? Um, so they're all there meeting, and here comes now Ollie with a gun, and he seems kind of crazed and not trusting these guys and and acting like he's he's being betrayed and we're like where is this kind of coming from 
and he ends up robbing them and taking all of the money. Yeah. So now and we're now at this point was where I was thinking, I know where this, I know what's happened here. <laughs> I know where this move is going. This is Ollie all doing it for himself, so we can run off with Kitty. With because Kitty, we keep mm -hmm. getting told, yeah, we keep getting told by people that uh, Ollie and a girl checked into an Atlantic City hotel the night of the robbery. We must yeah. be told that five times in the movie, yeah. so that sticks with us. Like, oh, okay, that's definitely Kitty, then, isn't it? So, Bert Lancaster's gone. He's stolen all the money from the guys he's just done the heist with. And he's gone off to Atlantic City with Kitty. And that's the end, right? But wait, no, that can't be the end. Because why did he get killed? Why wasn't Kitty with him? With Where's him? Yeah. Kitty been? There's yes. more to this. There's yes. more to this. How is there even <laughs> and more? And we flash back to the woman he left the money to. And her going to his room and him muttering about she's gone she left yeah, and now you're kind of yeah. wondering okay how does that all tie into this situation what as what has happened here yeah but no yes. I, I i do i love that whole heist situation like i said i think it is a one take heist that you see yeah i think so too um of the crate you know the crane shot just seeing them walk into the factory seeing them rob the paymaster's office from outside oh, yeah. the window seeing you know them come back outside the gate down the stairs and then all of the off. van yeah mm -hmm. really really wonderful scene yeah um but yeah such a tense um scene at that farmhouse as well where where big jim and what's what are the other guys names blinky i think one of them and is called dum dum i think dum dum you know nice Nice old movie names. There, <laughs> yeah. Dum -dum. Um, they're there splitting the pot. Oh, look at all this cash. I've never seen so much cash in all one place. This is unbelievable. Let's yeah. split the cash now. Here comes Ollie up, up in the rafters of this farmhouse, isn't he? he kind of yeah. and comes on them from, from above, steals off with it. And yeah, this is where I was just thinking, I know how this movie ends. And this is all, I should never trust myself when it comes to these kind of things. Because, <laughs> because you I'm never do that. Terrible. You are not someone You are not someone who looks ahead. You're always sitting in the moment and letting scene by scene kind of dictate where the story's going to go. I'm someone yeah. who, I, whether I want to or not, my mind will conjure up, you know, where is this going to go? Because even in the very beginning, when Burt Lancaster gets shot and we see, we just see his hand, I'm like, oh there's no way maybe you know he put someone there in his place and it wasn't really him <laughs> you know that's where my mind is like trying to to make these different scenarios oh you mean so you thought <laughs> they'd killed somebody else i was like are they are they i i i've had two options in my brain are they going to tell his story through flashbacks or is it a like mistaken identity is it really ah, did okay. he did he act like he didn't want to run away only to run away and have somebody else in his place. Um, and then it's going to be revealed later that he's really alive and all the whole thing. See, so my see, mind literally in those first beginning moments was already like conjuring, okay, are we going to get flashbacks or are they going to do something crazy? And da -da -da, you know, so I'm someone whose brain just 
thinks ahead like that. So when I like you're telling me that you this story had you wanting to do that, uh, just kind of speaks to how the how the story is paced, the structure of it, the you know the breadcrumbs being dropped was interesting enough for you to want to kind of look ahead as well, which is something I know well, you to never really do when you watch a movie. Well, yeah, it speaks to just how good a movie it is. It speaks to how engaging mm -hmm. of an investigation it is. Because like I said, a lot of, you know, there's an awful lot of noir movies that are investigation movies, but when one can really, really grip you, you know it's a special one. You know it's a great yeah. one. It's not just a kind of run-of-the-mill, that was a decent movie kind of movie. This this goes a level above. Yeah. This goes into kind of top tier of the genre yeah. for me because of everything just fits together so pristinely, perfectly, so yeah. just wonderfully. And the revelation upon revelation that only increases as the movie goes on and on. Yeah only becomes more significant as the movie goes on and on and only really becomes clear as to what's happened right at the end like in the second to last scene yeah. you actually realize oh wow okay <laughs> this is okay where this that's to. what's yeah. happened which is just i mean you, you feel like that's what a climax should do but yeah if you were able to do it quite this well and really just have you needing to know what's happened, really just have you on the edge of your seat, wanting to, I think wanting to, wanting what's best for Burt Lancaster, but then keeping realizing that Burt Lancaster's dead. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. It's not going to end well for Burt Lancaster. Yeah, because we in the see, opening scene. you know, we see this very sympathetic start with him. Because that's why I was like, I, I like that we started with, like, positives with this character. Um, we see him give his money to this woman who he barely knew. Um, we hear the people who only knew him a short time only speak well of him and want to warn him and protect him from these crazy people. Um, and then we start with Sam, his very good friend. And, and so we get so much positivity from this character. And so we want it to work out for him. And then you have to flash back and realize, oh my gosh, no, he's, he's already met his yeah. demise. And, and well, I mean, so it has you feel in some kind of way about it. <laughs> You say that, but what is his negative? His negative is really just that he was so enamored by Kitty Collins. Yes, yes. She motivates that is his all kind of the wrong that he ends up doing. She yeah. is his downfall, which is why you can you can often look at noir movies and femme fatales as just incredibly women are evil movies, but yeah. <laughs> I prefer to look at them as just women can be like that. Don't it's up to you to it, not you fall for it, you man. idiot. <laughs> yeah. You idiot man. Um, yeah. I prefer to look at them like that, and I always do tend to look at them yeah. like that. Um, so I think, you know, gradually as Jim is discovering more things, he starts to he now is able to piece together the players of the heist yes. and who Ollie was involved with. And we find one of them who I think he was like in a shootout and he's like almost dead now. And <clears throat> Sam calls him and says, um, 
hey, we have one of the guys from Oli's crew here. He was part of that heist. He is about to die and he's talking really delirious and he's actually like going through the, the, the moments of that heist and that night. Yeah. Uh, so Jim ends up just having somebody basically like parrot the whole kind of flashback of all the things that happened. And in this man's kind of dying delusion, saying lines of things that he said in the last kind of moments after the heist. Yeah. Um, we flash back and see it. <laughs> so I like it's that it's not even somebody that Jim is having a conversation with, but we get a flashback just from somebody's kind of delirious memories and it flashes back. So we see, you know, the lines that he's saying match up to, to the flashback. But very integral parts as to yeah. exactly what went down, you know, in that farmhouse when Ollie stole the money, uh, and after that, um, really, really integral part to the investigation as to why somebody may have wanted to kill yeah. Ollie in the first place. Um, not that they say that will be a great, you know, it won't hold up in court that well, the delirious ramblings of a dying man, but it's something for Jim to go off. Yeah, because, I mean, he's not a cop. He's not looking at it from that perspective. It's just he is no. just somebody who's completely invested in figuring this out. So he's not looking at any kind of jurisdiction of what can stick and what can't. He's not even thinking about that. He's just thinking about, oh, my gosh, these are more puzzle pieces for me to put into place. It gets even more significant when he goes or when Jim goes back to Ollie's, or the, the apartment where Ollie was killed in to find Dum Dum there. Yeah, snooping around, looking for snooping something. Snooping around yeah. and uh, looking for presumably all the money. Yes, that, or or a clue to where the money has. could be. Yes. Yeah. Um, there's a great stand, you know, sit down and standoff between, between the two of two them. Well, yeah. More, more is revealed about exactly what the situation is. Exactly the dynamics between that group of criminals and. Dum Dum's the one who confirms that Big Jim Colfax is the ringleader. Yeah, he's the one who came which up with the plan. was never established before no. yeah. to Edmund O'Brien. Um, you know, obviously Edmund O'Brien then goes to visit Big Jim Colfax, who is apparently a nice, you know, guy, businessman these days. No more crime. No more nastiness. Yes, and he's like, you know, everyone here in the town knows that, you know, I was in jail and I had a stint in, in prison, but um, they can see that I'm trying to work on myself and rehabilitate my life, and that's all that matters. And he tries to act like he doesn't even really know any of these people, that he's never heard of Oli, like all of these things. And it's clear to Jim that he is just not being straight with him. Um, yes, we don't bite for one second. No. So ultimately, you know, he is kind of suspect number one in this whole situation. Uh, and but he should be. Not Jim. Yeah. <laughs> he's got every and right so, to be. Yes. And then this is kind of, I think, where we get to catch up with Kitty now and see where she is. And, and um, Jim actually gets to sit down and talk to her and get her side of the story. So, yeah, which is something he's been kind of dying to get really yes, yes he's very excited about the prospect of meeting up and talking with kitty yeah. collins to 
really kind of put the final piece together as to exactly what happened when Ole had stolen away with the money, exactly what may have happened in that hotel room in Atlantic City. Yeah. To, um, you know, for her to have left, for him to have left the insurance money to the hotel owner or the hotel maid or whoever she was. Um, it is... It's a fascinating scene, really, because it's so underplayed. I think that yeah. scene where he meets up with Kitty says he's going to be wearing a particular outfit in that locate in in a certain location. In yeah. a different location, she comes to there. It's all very kind of he's pacing back and forth. You feel the Ooh, tension. Yeah, the One thing we up. should mention as well is the um, you mentioned it before in in the oscar nominations it's oscar nominated score yes yeah that i think is very understated but actually really noticeable at times in mm -hmm. terms of just the 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 pace of it like yeah. in the tent scenes it will really just feel like a rapid heartbeat yeah yes and i think is it miklos rosler is how you pronounce his name who did the um did the, did the score for this movie? Um, it's really, really good. Anyway, yeah, Nicholas Rosa, yeah, who does make the tense scenes, of which there are an awful lot, really feel like rapid heartbeat in the background. It's like trumpets that he's using or something like that. Yeah, that are just really, really quick. Um, this scene being one of them waiting for Kitty to arrive. Kitty has the conversation with Jim. Things are subtly said, like, look, I, I have a husband now. I don't want anything I'm to do I'm not that person anymore. anymore. Not, I want to protect this new life I have. And he's like... And and... We, should, we should have been saying, this new life you have, Kitty, the, the new life, what do you mean? The new life. That's a lie, isn't it? Not that we yeah. know it's a lie at this point. But it's a little bit of a lie. Um, as we come to find out at the very end. Oh, yeah. And Jim is like, okay, well, if you want to get out of this, then you need to give us a fall guy. And yeah. so that is very interesting who she kind of ends up naming or agreeing to name as the fall guy. Um, is. Which is Big Jim. <laughs> Big Jim. This yes. this old life you you used to lead, Kitty. Now you have your nice husband and your family, do you? Okay, sure, yeah. sure you do. Not that we're thinking that in that <laughs> scene. We're like, okay, maybe Kitty's fine now. Maybe know. she, yeah, maybe we should kind of sympathize with her a little bit. Um, or maybe and... not. Maybe this is actually <laughs> the evil woman of the movie. Maybe. Um, and then she, you know, strategically goes to powder her nose right at the moment when our assassins from the beginning of the film show up and a big shootout kind of happens. And yes, Jim Sam is actually, yeah, Jim and Sam have traveled together here and they kind of have formulated a plan to work together on this. And so they did anticipate something like this happening. So they were prepared and end up killing the assassins. Uh, and then when Jim tries to find Kitty, the bathroom windows open. She's gotten away. So. I would have found it quite hilarious in that scene where 
Jim storms into the ladies' room if there'd have been some poor old deer on the toilet. <laughs> like, oh! <laughs> like, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> sorry, ma'am. Sorry. Sorry about that. Yeah. Did you see a particularly beautiful woman leap out of that window? <laughs> yes, sir. I did. I was no, so confused. <laughs> What's going on? What was all that noise? Yes. <laughs> Nothing, ma'am. Yes, don't Carry worry. On. It's fine. Um, and so then we ultimately end up at uh Big Jim's mansion. Um and something is already kind of going down over there. And we have to I do have to mention like Jim is kind of lying a little bit so he could kind of get answers. This is what I said before. He's <laughs> yeah. there, no brain, very good manipulating yeah yes. while while being the good guy of the story. Yes. The, the and he don't care because he's manipulating these terrible people. So, But he's more than willing to lie and be deceitful to, uh, to Get the you know, end up capturing yeah. the villain, I suppose. Yeah. As you would say. Yeah. That's what I, li- what I like about him. He's able to really bring that. And he's out. already been kind of dropping the hints to these other people. So when he's kind of having that little standoff with Dum Dum, he's telling him, well, you know, uh, after Oli stole the money, he was holed up in a hotel with Kitty and she left him and ran off with the money. So he's already planting the seed for all of these other people who are looking for the money that Kitty's probably the one who took it. So now they're all very much, okay, we need to find Kitty. And that's, I think, what helps him able to to set up this meeting with her. Because now she's scared because she knows all of these people are kind of looking for her. And so... I mean, because they were all just greedy anyway. They were all planning on double-crossing Ole anyway. Because they didn't tell Ole about the new meeting location after the heist. So they were, they were all planning on robbing it anyway, which is why, you know, him coming in and robbing it all for himself is a Yes, big which deal. which in that scene we end up I think when when Kitty is meeting with uh Jim, she does admit that she's the one who told Ollie um yes. that they were going to betray him. So she's yeah, the one who kind of manipulated him and told him that, you know, oh yeah, that they're planning to backstab you and that's what that's why Ole was so crazed and angry and and stole from them because Kitty got him all riled up that they were going to betray him first I asked the question Janine what is a good noir movie without a double cross and what is an even better noir (laughs) movie without a double double cross Yes. Because that's how this movie ends. It's a yes. double, so, double cross. Jim and Sam, I do believe, end up at Big Jim's mansion only to find that Dum Dum is there and they were having this big shootout standoff situation to where I think Dum Dum ended up getting killed and and Big Jim is like dying. And then who runs out and reveals that she is his wife, <laughs> but Kitty herself. So Kitty ended up marrying Big Jim. Big Jim confesses that he, in fact, was, uh, he knew Kitty's plan. They, it was them in on it together for her to rile up Ole, have him steal all the money, Kitty take the money from Ole, and then run back to Big Jim with all of the money so that Jim, Jim, Big Jim would have the money 
he would have Kitty all to himself and and not get any of the heat because it would just look like Ole took it. Yeah, a double double, very clever. Yes, Jim, but never ends up working, does it? No, because now he's kind of revealing all of this and that Kitty was his partner in crime. And as he's dying, he now can't absolve her of any guilt. And so she is shaking his body and telling him to wake up and telling him just to say the words, Kitty, you have nothing to do with this. Kitty, you you know, you're you're not guilty. Kitty, you're innocent. And Which, he... I mean, I think really does turn Kitty into just horrible person. So pathetic. So the self-preservation on full display in this moment. Her husband's dying and all she can care about is him absolving her of any guilt so she doesn't go to jail. (laughs) But this is what changes Kitty for me from being admirably self-preservationist. Yeah. In terms of just, yes, I'm for myself. What's wrong with that? I'm just going to sit here and it's not my fault you all love me. Um, to the very end of this movie, just going, oh no, wait a minute, you're just horrible. (laughs) Yeah, you're just you're just not a good person at all, are you? You wanting your dying husband to just tell everybody that it was a lie when it very obviously was was you. you. Yeah. Um, it's it's not nice at all. To which point you imagine Kitty's carted off to prison yes. you would assume yes and big jim ends up dying there we we, we finally realize why ollie was killed why the killers existed yeah because ollie was really the only one who could have told anybody that it was all big jim yeah that it was all kitty those two, nobody else could. It all looked like it was Ollie. That's why he had to be found. Yes. And that's why it took six years to find him. But he had to be found. He had to be gotten rid of. Oh, it's so good. Yes, yes. This was a really good... Just The structure was just so impressive. Just laying out this story, flashing back, going to present day, how they did the flashbacks... Um, how they just intertwined the story and built the pieces brick by brick was just so well done. Really, really was. It does intrigue me into watching uh, the 1964 one, Don Siegel's. I imagine it's a little bit more action-heavy, perhaps. Yeah, it's probably Knowing what Don Siegel is like. (laughs) Yeah. um, he, He does tend to have a little bit more action and a little, perhaps, less shady visuals yeah that Seod Mac specializes in and I think that is such a standout element of this movie as well. Um is is it itself visually but again what would what would you expect from a Robert Seod Mac movie? I would expect exactly it to look like this. Yeah. Um it is elevated by that wonderful score. It is elevated by a structure unlike really Anything else that's done as intricately of its kind, I think. I think it's pretty unique in the way it's told uh, for the particular genre. Um, Performances are are great by those lead three uh, in particular. It is 
a wonderful, wonderful noir movie. And for being, you know, 1946, for being reasonably early yeah. in, um, you know, in, in terms of the noir cycle, um, I'm just going to try and quickly find out how early it was in Siodmak's kind of Hollywood career. Um, but did I love this movie, Janine? Yes, I did. Yes, it was really good. I, I I can't speak enough about just how the pacing was of this film and the performances, the music, everything you got nominated for, you, you see why. <laughs> yeah, you really do. So it's, it's about... It's it's like his fifth noir movie. See, okay, okay. So he'd only been making them for a couple of years, though. Did you know that Robert C. Odmack directed *Son of Dracula*? What? <laughs> he did. I had no um, idea. Really, he'd only been making noir movies since 1944. Okay. But I think this is a particular. I mean, his 1946 is is. Pretty, his his ten year period between forty four and fifty four off. It's not even ten. You know what? It's not even ten years. It's like five years. Oh my gosh! It's nineteen forty four, really, to like nineteen fifty, where it's just kind of really good noir after really good noir okay. after really good noir. After really good yeah. noir. It's such a a tiny part. I do remember watching a little bit of a featurette documentary on one of my Blu-rays on that period in in Seodmak's career because he's a director I've just come to really love. Yeah. Um, which is again why I'm doubly thankful that I've now watched this movie, perhaps his most famous movie, perhaps. Although I would also recommend you watch Crisscross, which also has Burt Lancaster in. That's from. 49 okay. i think um it's really really good but so is the killers yeah, wonderful wonderful movie um i'm so glad we've enjoyed this conversation yes <laughs> we got really into this movie <laughs> discovered ava gardner yes Ooh. definitely we don't like we do like we really do like <laughs> but in this movie just terrible Kitty collins Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> It's it, it is it's Phyllis Dietrichson level of just evil woman. Yes. Um, just tr 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 purely just why are you doing this? It's so why terrible. So horrible. Yeah, stop. Yeah. Um, but it's utterly engrossing. Completely, and I love it so much. Yeah. Well, Janine, I think unless you have anything left to say no, about the killers, I think that's it. We will call this episode of It's a Wonderful Podcast right there. It's been episode 266 of the main show, It's a Wonderful Podcast. We have been talking Robert C. Max The Killers from 1946, based on the Ernest Hemingway story and starring Burt Lancaster, Ava Gardner, and Edmund O'Brien. Yes, it is not the only show you can find on this podcast feed, though, is it, Janine? 
Now, of course, we have our show, Monday Madness, with Morgan and the Machine, our fun kickback show you can find on this feed, or you can check it out on YouTube. Uh, We talk fun movie topics, we get into maybe some movie reviews, and play a fun game. So it's a really chill show. Please check it out on the It's a Wonderful Podcast podcast feed and the It's a Wonderful Podcast YouTube channel. We also have a lot of fun things on the YouTube channel, so please check it out. It's a Wonderful Podcast on YouTube. Uh, And of course, every Wednesday, we have Morgan Hasn't Seen, where I force you to watch things you haven't seen. And with The Flash coming out, we are talking some fringe DC movies. So we're going to have some fun talking some pretty bad movies. Yes. How very unusual for Morgan Hasn't Seen. Yes. It's very unusual. But we started this week with Steel from 1997 with Shaq. It was nonsense. It broke me. My brain was broken. Oh, well, it's going to break further as we get through this series, so good I luck. have no doubt. <laughs> I have no doubt about that at all. Um, but there you go. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we have you covered on the It's a Wonderful podcast feed. As Janine said, subscribe and ding the notification bell on the It's a Wonderful podcast YouTube channel as well. And subscribe wherever you are listening to this show here on all major podcast platforms if you would like to join us on patreon or donate in any way there are links in the description to do that we can't do what we do without that generous support from our wonderful patrons over on the it's a wonderful podcast patreon Mm -hmm. and we love them all dearly patreon.com slash it's a wonderful one if you would like to join us there or just find us on social media on twitter at it's a wonderful one you can find me on Twitter at the Purple Dawn with a three instead of the E in there because Janine. Three is the magic number. On Instagram and TikTok at the Purple Dawn, all your devilish stuff is well. <laughs> you can find me at Janine Devine underscore on Twitter, Janine Devine on Instagram and TikTok. If you want to get any merch for any of our shows, just check the link in the description or search It's a Wonderful Podcast on teespring.com. And if you want to purchase any of my art in print form, you can find that at my big cartel shop, g9design.bigcartel.com. One more applause for the killers. Yay! Yay! One more applause. And Janine, hmm, impressions? <laughs> I don't think there is one, but Lancaster's not got a particular no. impressive voice. No. What about a stereotypical Swedish, please, oh. that may offend anybody <laughs> have listening in Sweden or the other countries? Oh my gosh, it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. A three, a two... That was terrible. You have just alienated a bunch of people. You made me do it. I feel physically ill now. Bye. Bye.